have the Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roll with us today, Adam Rank. How you doing, Rank? look great in person and I uh, just can't wait to next year where we can pack it full of 25,000. Hey Bob, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guy's day. It was being ranked. I mean, how do you lose? This is the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. And we are live, and welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. This is about episode 57, and the last time you seen Marcus with us, that was way back on episode 9. Just to kind of give you a little bit of an introduction into what, how much has changed in that period of time, here's a little uh, picture of what we looked like when we first got started. <laughs> <laughs> the first wow. thing you, I'm sure you'll notice is that my mustache is growing a little bit since that caterpillar there. <laughs> Calvin has now moved out of the bedroom and in kind of a nice little area. And Marcus, your hair looks way better now, dude. Thanks. Uh, that looks like everyone's last known photo. Like if we were on the news or something like that. Yeah, like <laughs> have you seen these men sort of thing. So, Marcus, do you know how long it's been since you've been on the show? Uh, no, how long has it been, actually? Not that I'm keeping track or anything, but it's been one year, five months, and 15 days. Or according to Google, 532 days. Don't fact check me because I Googled it, but it kind of <laughs> broke it down. Uh, 500 days. That's, I mean, that literally is like a lifetime ago, especially because, you know, for the last year, every day has been like a month long. So, um, wow, that's a long time. But I'm glad to be back. I appreciate the invitation. Oh, it's, it's good to have you back. That Matt used to actually have a little bit of hair on his head back when we when you first came on. <laughs> so, well, hear, hear me out. I really thought about this. So I've been studying the fantasy football industry here for the last little while, and I'm starting to catch on to a little phase here. I, there's Adam Rank, Scott Fish, you know, we've got uh, uh, Derek Brown, uh, Chad Parsons, and I'm going on and on. I know Bob Harris. Bob, Bob Harris. Harris. Bob, Bob Harris, man. Like, of course. <laughs> bald is beautiful. And if you want to make it in this industry, you have to go bald. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a fact yet or not, but we're going to try because nothing else I do is working. So we're Let's going to try go, the bald Sarah. thing for a while. Yeah, Sarah, 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 I think, he's throwing, I think he's throwing down the gauntlet for you right now. not well, yeah, it's it's great to have you back. It's it's been too long. Uh, we got to get you on lots lots sooner than five hundred thirty two days. Uh, last <laughs> time we were on, like I said, the show's growing. Uh, you've grown. Well, I don't know. His hair's grown. I know. I really haven't. Grown. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. The last time I got a a haircut, um, how long? You know, what? The, the last time I got a haircut, Patrick Mahomes had not yet won a Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> It has been that long. I watched, I remember watching the first quarter of the 49ers Vikings divisional playoff game from the barbershop. Like that, that's how long ago it was. Uh, the last you know time I what? sat in the barbershop. I have chair. a gripe, man, because Marcus, I don't like people like you. The guys, oh, how old are you? You don't mind me asking. Uh, I am, I am. 40, 40, 43. Yeah. I will be 44 very soon. So I absolutely hate 
the guys who start growing hair in their 40s. <laughs> <laughs> like you and Jay-Z, I, I hate you guys. Like, I, don't, I, I don't get how do you grow hair into your 40s. Well, okay, like, let's, 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 let's be real about this, right? Like, did Jay-Z actually start growing hair? Or like, he's got enough money to just buy all of the hair, right? Like, anything about that? <laughs> you know, like, I, and I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking questions, right? Um, I, you know, I, I, I will say that my, my hair uh, in certain spots is maybe not as strong as I would like it to be. So, you know, we'll, we'll just keep this between us that, uh, you know, this might be a little bit of an illusion. Yeah. Uh, this, this, this might be my last gasp, right? Like, you know, when it, when it goes, it might just be time to just come on home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys coming up with growing hair in their 30s and 40s. It drives me nuts. <laughs> well, I'm a firm believer that God punished me coming out of my 20s because I grew my hair out to like my shoulders. And then for fun, I permed it because I thought that'd be funny to do one day. Well, after I cut it after the perm, it never came back. So it was kind of like, you know what? If you're going to perm it, we're gonna, you're going to lose it. But you had a good run. At least you had a good run with it. It, it was, you know, we, we had good solid 18, 19 years together. So uh, it, it, it didn't really leave. It just kind of relocated, right? It, it, it's like, it's now down here. And nice. so, but we do have to talk a little bit about football here in the show. And what better way to start than continuing with the USC roots there? Uh, we know you went there for your journalism, your bachelor's in journalism, your BA. Sam Darnold. Maybe one of the better Trojan quarterbacks that have come out of the program is gets a fresh start in Carolina. Immediate reaction to that? Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy he's getting a fresh start somewhere. Um, I've been saying for the last you know 24 plus hours that I don't know that I can be completely objective about Sam Darnold in part because I I really do always I, I want to see the Trojan guys succeed in the NFL. So there was that part of it. The other part is I just I just want guys that I like to get away from Adam Gase. Um, and so like that sort of that sort of made this a situation where I was just I, I'm I'm really happy for him to to get a chance somewhere where I think he's going to get a fair shot. I just think everything that happened with the Jets, um, you know, it just was the it was everything you don't want for a young quarterback, right? You, you had a front office that just didn't seem to have a real plan. You had a head coach that you know. I, you know, at some point, I, I hope the luster has worn off that, that people have realized that Adam Gay's only success came with Peyton Manning. Um, and at some point when you're talking about, you know, a Hall of Fame, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, that maybe maybe you don't get quite as much credit for that as you should. Um, so, I mean, that was stacked against him. They continuously just never really surrounded him, I think, with quality weapons in that offense. So on the one hand, he has not necessarily played great football to this point in his career. But on the other hand, he really has been dealt sort of a bad hand. So uh, he goes to Carolina. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see what Matt Rule and Joe Brady can do with him in that offense. He gets reunited with Robbie Anderson, where you know he did have some success with Anderson. Uh, he gets Christian McCaffrey in the backfield to help out. So at this point, if, if Sam Darnold goes to Carolina and it doesn't work out, I'm fully willing to say, you know what, that's on him. Um, and, and the argument is sort of over at this point. So uh, I, I, I want to be excited. I want to be happy. I'm trying to be objective about this whole thing, but I'm mostly just glad that he's away from New York. Plus, look, if, if we follow the, the narrative, right, if we go on what happened with, you know, Ryan Tannehill and Kenyon Drake and Robbie and all these guys, like, Darnold's going to be, you know, he's going to be a Pro Bowler this year, right? That's just, that's just <laughs> how it works. He's going to the Pro Bowl. Just lock it up. Right. 
Carolina has made it no secret that they wanted to move on from Teddy Bridgewater over the offseason. And they've been like, in an odd way, very vocal about it. I mean, the owner coming out and say, saying something. And um, obviously, as of today, he's still on that team. Do you think there's a path to redemption for him in Carolina? Or is he gonna is he going to have to move on for that to happen? Yeah, I think at this point, it's probably he's probably going to have to go somewhere else. Uh, I know the, the team that sort of popped up immediately in the rumor mill was the Denver Broncos, which if I'm Drew Locke, that makes me a little bit nervous about this. Um, and I'm sort of sad about that because I like Teddy Bridgewater too. Uh, you know, I, I thought, and I'm not the only one who thought this, but I, I thought a big year was coming for him in Minnesota when he suffered that awful leg injury. Um, you know, at which point people thought that he might never play football again. But it really did seem like everything had a line for him to have that huge year in Minnesota. Uh, he ended up missing significant time because of the injury and really is is trying to sort of rebuild what could have been. Um, I, I always kind of thought that maybe it was a weird fit in Carolina. I didn't, I didn't necessarily think he was the right quarterback for what they were trying to do there. Although he played better last year than, than I would have anticipated, but I think any path to redemption for, for Bridgewater is probably not going to happen with the Panthers. Yeah. Do you think um, the new Jets quarterback, whoever they choose looks like Jack Wilson right now. Do you think uh, that's going to add more pressure to him that they gave away Darnold for him or is uh, less pressure on him? I mean, I think there's enough pressure because he's going to be a quarterback in the city of New York. I mean, I guess, I guess New Jersey, whatever. Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, I think that that is going to be pressure enough. I think, uh, you know, I feel like most Jets fans, at least rational Jets fans, I think sort of understood that uh, whatever you think of Darnold, that the paths had to separate at that point. So I think Zach Wilson in that respect comes in sort of with a clean slate, but just the fact that he is the quarterback of the New York Jets, a team that uh, to say they are long-suffering doesn't really do justice to those who have been long-suffering. So I I think that uh, in and of itself is going to be sort of pressure enough. Um, You know, it's it's kind of interesting because Robert Sala is the new head coach there. And, you know, you as a head coach, the first pick you make is likely going to be a guy that you hope can be your franchise quarterback. These two are probably going to be tied together for a very long time. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's going to be enough of pressure on that kid. Uh, presumably it's Zach Wilson. Uh, I don't I don't think that, you know, I mean, unless somehow Sam Donald really does become a Pro Bowl quarterback and, and really kind of does uh, you know, end up you know, ascending to something great, then maybe people look back on that. But I think for the most part, these guys are going to kind of be separate entities uh, going forward. Darren, you want to you want to kind of touch base a little bit on your thoughts here with the Sam Darnold to Carolina thought? Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of Carolina, how do you think he fits into that system? Do you see them working him into what they're running now, or do you see them adjusting to him? I think I think they're gonna I think they're gonna try to work him into what they are doing. I think he probably fits a little bit better for what they're doing than, than Teddy. Um, I think he's a little more athletic than Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, you know, and like I said, I think that the combination, the connection he already has with Robbie Anderson is going to be good. And look, man, worst comes to worst. You get in trouble. You find Christian McCaffrey, you just give him the football and you stand back and just let him do his thing. And that was, uh, you know, un- unfortunately for Teddy, that's not something he got to really take advantage of last year because CMC was hurt for most of the season. But I, I think that, you know, Sam Darnold's greatest strengths 
are sort of finding a way to work himself out of trouble. Now, the problem has been usually he works himself into that trouble to begin <laughs> with. Um, I mean, I, so I will always go back. To me, the, the quintessential Sam Darnold game uh, was the Rose Bowl, his, his last year there against Penn State. Uh, phenomenal game. The first half, the Trojan offense was kind of a mess. Darnold sort of looked, looked lost at times. It wasn't great. In the second half, um, he really put it together and led two drives at the end that were just phenomenal. The Trojans end up coming back. They end up kicking a field goal to win. Donald sort of ends up being the hero in this whole thing. Um, and that to me was sort of, that was Sam Darnold in a nutshell, right? Like he, he does things that kind of make you wonder like, what is going on? What's with this guy? And then he'll make some throws and you're like, oh, I get it now. Um, and so I think, I think that's what you're going to see with him. I don't think anything's changed. I think that was the guy he was in New York. And I think that's the guy he's going to be in Carolina. Yes, we've almost, we've almost touched base on all the football talk, but we want to kind of transition here a little bit. Aaron Rodgers, Jeopardy thought process on that. How, how do you feel about Aaron Rodgers on Jeopardy? And we'll get to Scott's answer a little bit later. Cause I, I thought that was fantastic. I think, I mean, I think it's, it's fun. It's a novelty thing. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers, I think he's a funny guy, but I think he's a little bit too deadpan to be a game show host. I think to be a good game show host, um, I mean, you either have to be like super smart and suave the way Alex Trebek was, or you kind of got to be a little bit goofy, right? I mean, kind of that, that Pat Sajak sort of goofiness. Um, I don't think Aaron's got that. I think he's, He's obviously very good on television. Uh, you know, the little bit I saw, I didn't see the whole episode, but the little bit I saw, he seemed very smooth asking the questions. And mind you, Jeopardy is a hard game show to host, right? Because you've got, uh, you know, you've got names and, and places to pronounce. And just, you know, the way Alex Trebek would just spit out like this 17 syllable word and not really blink. <laughs> um, not everybody can do that. So uh, I think I think he'll be fine for the two weeks. I don't know that he's necessarily the long term host. And a thing that I mentioned on our podcast today, it, what, what I thought of immediately, uh, I don't know if any of you are old enough, yeah, some of you guys might be, uh, to remember Rolf Benershka hosting the daytime version of Wheel of Fortune back in like the 80s. Uh, Rolf Benershka was the kicker for the San Diego Chargers. Um, I mean, there was really nothing memorable about his career except for the fact that he hosted the daytime version of Wheel of Fortune that I think lasted for like maybe a few months. Like it, you know, nobody watched it. He he was he was not great as a host. And they were like, hey, let's just like let's say Jack do his thing. Um and they really have no connection other than the fact that they are two football players that hosted a game show, but that is the first thing that I thought about when I heard Aaron Rodgers uh, was gonna host Jeopardy. Well, Trebek has that kind of witty banter to him, and Sajak kind of has that I'm your drunk uncle at a wedding kind of <laughs> right. feel, right? He really does. He's got his arm around you, and he's it looks like he wants, like, I don't know, smell your hair or kiss you on the cheek. I don't know where Pat Sajak's going on half these things. <laughs> now, the reason I'm asking is we, we've seen someone like Jason Witten go from the gridiron to the booth, back to the gridiron. Tara, could we see Rogers go gridiron, Jeopardy, back? To the gridiron. Uh, the reason I make fun of say this. The reason I point this out is Tara's a Packers fan here, so I, I got to make sure I bring the Aaron Rodgers <laughs> possibly leave. So how, 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 how do Packers fans feel about their quarterback? You know, moonlighting as a game show host right now. It's 
cute. I mean, he's out there. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, you know, he's living his best life. He's doing his thing. You know, a little off-season fun. That's cool. That's cool. You know, we, we do want him back. <laughs> I mean, there are worse things that he could be doing in the off-season, right? Like, he's not jumping Definitely. out of airplanes. He's not racing yeah. motorcycles. Like, he's in a studio. Like, nobody is going to come and tackle Aaron Rodgers when he's, like, you know, reading questions about 17th century Russian literature. Like, you know, nobody's going to come in at that point. <laughs> that would be funny, though. That Mark, be- and I, I think for the most part, as long as he avoids music and boat rides, I think most people will be okay <laughs> with that. <laughs> I, I think the guy, the guy I think about when I think about who should host Jeopardy is Richard Sherman. I think he would absolutely be the best host for that show. <laughs> is there anybody else that you can think of, like, in the NFL that might do – a, a really good job. Um, honestly, I think I think you know one of Aaron's, I guess, former teammates now. I think Jamal Williams would be great. Like he's a oh. really funny guy. <laughs> he's yeah. a really personable guy. Um, you know, I think he'd be fun at it because I think that's sort of what you need to be a game show host. You do have to sort of be a little bit corny. I think at, on some on some levels, right? Like, um, like I said, I think I think Aaron's a funny guy. I just think he's so deadpan that uh, it just sort of comes off maybe a little bit low energy, but I think Mm. Jamal Williams would have been a a great option to potentially host (laughs) a game show. So I want to throw this one out out there. If the coaching high school football doesn't work, what about Philip Rivers? (laughs) As a game show host? Uh, He's corny. Darn it, dang it, Nabbit. He's corny, so it might be. He's corny. He is corny. I just, you know, like, can he dial down the intensity, right? Like, he's just like, he's super intense all the time, it feels like. Um, so he has to like dial that back a little bit, but, uh, like I could, I could just, you know, somebody misses the final Jeopardy question and Phil be like, ah, oh, dad gum. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not it. I'm so sorry. You know, like that, that would kind of be cute, but I just feel like, you know, uh, he would be like super intense, like staring you down for the answer. And that would, that would make me a little bit nervous. So I think we've now reached our limit. Not that we were necessarily talking football right there, but I think we've reached our limit of our quotient of we, we've. Oh, we've hit the quota. Right, we can do fun stuff now. Let's go. It's like yeah. it's party time. Yeah. Let's go. We're going to put some fun stuff because um, you know maybe Jeopardy host um, wouldn't necessarily be the thing you want. What about professional wrestler? Let's say you were a in pro wrestling and you had an intro song that was going to introduce you to the audience. What would be the perfect intro music for you? Uh, so if you're talking wrestling, which by the way, this is probably a question more geared toward Adam Rank than me, but I would say if I was, if I was a professional wrestler, um, the song that I would probably come out to would be Highball Stepper by Jack White. Mm. Cause it, it just opens with kind of this like guitar riff and this sort of creepy, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but just, just go everybody who's watching, just go into YouTube and just put in Highball Stepper and listen to the opening. Um, I think it, it would be like sort of, I think it'd be kind of intimidating, right? When the lights go down and the smoke comes up and you start hearing like this guitar intro and everything. Um, and it's almost like these like shrieks is what it sounds like, you know, the way he's playing. Uh, that would probably be my wrestling intro thing. But then also, I would also be the guy who like would talk a big game, but immediately like tag out and like have my partner come in and actually do <laughs> all the dirty work, right? But I would be the one, I would be the pot stirrer and then I would back away and let somebody else handle everything else. Nice. <laughs> okay, okay, so what about other sports? So tell us about maybe sports you played growing up, um, the importance of it, you know, what did you play? What were your favorite teams and players? 
Yeah, I so baseball has always been my first love. Um, I I grew up growing up in in the Bay Area in Northern California. I was always a big A's fan and sort of a part time Dodger fan. Uh, over the years, now that I live in Los Angeles, that has sort of reversed where I'm a big Dodger fan and kind of a part-time A's fan. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I said I was always a baseball player. I was uh, a mediocre, your, your, your typical mediocre light-hitting second baseman. Like I had a good glove, but I couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat. So that's uh, <laughs> part, of the part of the reason I do this now instead of, <laughs> instead of, instead of playing professionally anywhere. Uh, but I did play baseball for a long time. I played soccer for a while. Um, you know, I, I didn't play beyond high school. My, my athletic career really ended sort of in, in high school. I, I do sort of wonder what might have been, um, which probably wouldn't have been much. But I, I remember when I was playing youth soccer, uh, I was a striker. Um, you know, and I, I was, you know, for, in my own, you know, 10 year old mind, I was pretty damn good at it. Right. Uh, and I remember one day at practice, uh, the coach was like, Hey, you know, we just want to switch some things up. Hey, do you want to go back and play some defense for a little bit? We'll let somebody else be striker. And I was like, all right, cool. Uh, and then like, I ended up being really good at that and I never played striker again. And I was like, what was I like? I should have sucked at this. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> now I'm stuck in the back playing. You know, like when you're like 12 years old, you want to score goals. Like that's where the glory is. That's where all the money is. Um, and now I'm like stuck in the back playing defense. And I was like, I, I rue that to this day. Like what might have been, that and the fact that my mom told me I should stop playing to focus on academics, that might have also had something to do with my uh, my failed soccer career. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm what I will say is probably the same thing you hear from everybody. And I know it sounds kind of cliche, but you do you sort of miss the camaraderie, right? You miss the, the guys and girls that you just hang out with. I mean, you know, like when I played baseball, even when I played soccer, um, like we didn't have a girls soccer team at my high school. So we just had a soccer team. We had two girls on our team. Um, and you know, these two girls also played in our little league because we didn't have, you know, there wasn't like a softball equivalent for the girls to play. So, um, you know, you just kind of miss hanging out with them. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, you know, one of the years I did play high school soccer, we uh, were on the road and I was playing JV and uh, we got stomped. Uh, by a school on the road, we got stomped out, and then the varsity team played, and they got stomped out. And so we're on the we're on the bus getting ready to go home, and the team that just beat us twice, they're just like laughing. They're like sitting in front of our bus and just like laughing and pointing and just like you know talking trash to us. Like we're so hot, we're so heated. We want to go out there and fight. And the varsity coach stands up and he says, "I never forget this." He says, "I let you guys go out there and fight, but I don't want to go over three today." We're like, "Oh." oh. <laughs> That's like at that point it was just like you know let's let's just go. Home. <laughs> the worst part is the coach literally just handed you another L right just there. Just like, so we sort of did go over three right because he did he just handed us an L on the bus at that point it was like yeah let's let's just go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you mentioned that camaraderie because you you always you always long for that right. I know Calvin myself we both coach youth sports here and. While we can't play the game, it's it's fun watching the kids play the game and how they get together. And you, you still kind of feel part of it, but you kind of sit back, you get to watch it all kind of develop. Or have you coached any of your kids in sports yet, or is that something well, that you're interested I, in? I'd love to. Uh, my son just turned two, so he's a little ways from that. But uh, I would love to. I mean, look, when I played baseball, my dad was my coach. 
uh, pretty much every year. So I, it's something that I would I would love to do. Um, it's it's funny. I, I spent a long time sort of covering youth sports. Uh, you know, I covered a lot, especially like high school uh, stuff like that. And you get to talk to coaches, and it's funny. You guys probably know this as well. <clears throat> the, the one thing the coaches would always say is like, it's not the kids that are hard to deal with. Sometimes it's, it's the, parents. the parents. It's the parents <laughs> that are hard, that are harder to deal with more often than not. So <laughs> I, I do. I would love to coach youth sports. I would love to coach you know my kid in baseball or soccer or whatever. Um, you know, my dad coached my daughter, my, my daughter, my sister <laughs> in soccer. Uh, not that he knew anything about the sport. He watched me play it as a kid, and that was kind of all he knew. Um, I would say coaching youth soccer is a little bit easier because you just sort of roll the ball out there. And, um, you know, what I love about youth soccer, I know this isn't what the question was, but whatever. I'm just going to riff right now. What, <laughs> what, what, what I love about youth soccer is that, like, you never really see the ball. You just see a cloud of children kind of following it around, <laughs> and that lets you know where the ball is uh, sort of thing. But I, I, I would love to do that when uh, when my kid gets old enough to kind of start participating in that sort of thing. I love that. Cause I just recently watched the Tom and Jerry movie, and there's like Spike and Tom, and they're Jerry, they're in that tornado in the hotel, and they're all going – that's basically what youth soccer looks like. It looks like okay. everything just kind of thrown together. So I got to ask you because, like, I, you know, I, I see it pop up when I open up, you know, HBO Max or whatever, right? And, like, I am personally offended by them putting Tom and Jerry in a movie with, like, real actual humans. Like, I just <laughs> – like, I feel like – I feel like it's bad. Like, I feel like no movie has really done that well since Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that was like mm -hmm. 35 years ago, right? That movie was a long time ago and no movie has done it well since then. And so like, I just am not going to watch that movie on general principle because I'm upset that they're putting Tom and Jerry with like live action people. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Good point. <laughs> I know it's not rational. It's just how I feel about it. That's all. Hey, ninety percent of our show is unrational. We just go with the flow here, so we, we totally get where you're coming from on that. Uh, speaking of unrational, it's draft season right now. We're going to get you, and we're going to get rank. We're, you know, let's throw in some of the old school guys there too. Let's get Co and Harmon. Let's get you all together. Let's go run the draft combine. Who's going to oh. wow the scouts here? We know if we we know if Cynthia was in it, she'd like kill the Wanderlick test, yeah, she'd she kill would. all the she scouting, did. like destroy it there. But everyone you got there at the NFL Network and guys you worked with in the past, who's going to dominate? Who's going to? Who are the scouts going to be like? You know what? This guy looks. This guy's. This guy can make our roster like right now. So are we talking like just just like the fantasy type analyst and stuff? Because you know, like like it wouldn't be fair to put like William. Yeah, you can't throw an LT and, and right. Like we could yeah. we couldn't put William McGinnis in the combine. Like that's just not <laughs> fair. Like honestly, no, like no. William McGinnis. William McGinnis looks like nowadays. Like, if he decided to just throw on the pads, he could go out and probably get five, six sacks in a season. Like he still <laughs> is in that kind of shape right now. Um, wow. I would say like of all the guys right now, uh, I would say that the, the bench press might go to, to, to Harmon. Um, you know, Harmon is like, yeah, in, in, during the pandemic, he spent a lot of money on weight room equipment and he's like decked out his garage as sort of a makeshift gym. Um, and he's, uh, I was giving him a hard time the other day. Like you look kind of swole nowadays. So he like might win that. Uh, I would think for, uh, the 40, I would give it to, to Matt Franciscovich, the franchise, just because he's the smallest of us. And so he's, he's carrying the least amount of weight. Um, <laughs> although I would say that he's also grown out his beard and has long hair. So he might not be quite as aerodynamic, uh, as, as he used to be. Um, you know, I would say, you know, Co probably does well in like agility drills, 
something like that. I think Alex Gelhar is probably a sneaky bet to maybe be kind of be one of the best all around guys, um, especially like, you know, agility and running. I mean, he's a, he's just a hardcore runner. So that sort of thing, I think, you know, stamina wise, I think he would do well. Um, it would be interesting. I don't think, I don't think any of us would do like, uh, great at everything, <laughs> right? Like, I think we would all have something that we sort of do okay. Um, but I don't, I, I think it would be more comedy, uh, than anything. I think, I think, I think it would all be sort of embarrassing to, to watch us if, uh, if I'm just being completely honest with you. It, it's funny because when you talk about NFL Network, you're really talking about the, this could be a very good episode of Pros versus Joes. Like, <laughs> you know, we, we, we asked this question to a lot of the guys like, yeah, you know, this person, this person, this person. But you're like, the first thing you're like, oh, man, Willie, are we counting Willie in here? Is Willie counting in this? Like, are we going to count LT and Kurt and all these guys? Like, <laughs> the pros versus Joe's NFL Network edition, I think would be fantastic TV. Uh, it'd be fantastic for the athletes, for the Joe, for the pros, for the Joe's, not so much. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, because you're talking about, like, like, a lot of these guys are keep themselves in really good shape, right? It's it's kind of amazing. Um, You know, I. Like I said, Willie McGinnis looks like he's in fantastic shape. I know Kurt Warner uh, still plays basketball regularly. Um, so, like, the pros would, would pretty much dominate, and the Joes would, uh, you know, we would be, you know, I don't know, sitting off the side eating pie or something like that. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with a little bit of pie. Pie's great, man. <laughs> Pie's great. Well, Pie's I great. you didn't, like, give yourself any love, so – I think you will be, like, on the sideline taking pictures of all this, right? I see oh, yeah, no, because I – Cause I don't, you know what? Cause the last thing I want to do is go out there and try to run and then like, you know, blow my Achilles out. Right. And then like, then you really feel like an idiot. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, I would sit on the side, I'd eat pie and I'd have my camera. Like, yeah, everybody have a good old time. Like that would be me. You know? <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of, uh, what kind of camera do you use? Um, mostly my phone. I do have like a, an old DSLR, like an old Canon DSLR that like, what happens is I get in this idea that like, I want to really pick up photography, like for real, for real. And so then like, I'll go for like a month and I'll take a bunch of pictures of stuff and then I'll put it down for like a year. And then I'm like, <laughs> Oh man, I should go back to do my camera stuff again. And I would say this, it, uh, obviously having a kid sort of changes it. Like you don't really have as much time to go out and like, you know, fool around with like, you know, uh, Hey, let's try and find a new hobby because like your new hobby is like chasing a toddler around. Um, so, so that's sort of changes it. But one day, one day, I really think I'm going to take like an actual honest to goodness photography class and learn how to do it as opposed to me just like fiddling around and reading the internet on how to do things with a camera. So the pictures on your website are all done with your phone? Uh, oh no, on the website, those are, those are actually done with my camera. Yeah. But okay, it's been a yeah. while. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I did do that with my camera when I first got it and I was going out and like, I would go to places, um, I went to uh, like the, the LA Arboretum, which is basically just a giant botanical garden. Um, I went and took a bunch of pictures there. Uh, I did walk around one day, like one day on my birthday, uh, I just took a day. This was back, you know, back in my single childless days. I uh, took a day and just kind of like walked around LA on my birthday and just took photos of a bunch of stuff, randomly ran into uh, kind of a street protest when I was out there. I was like, oh, this seems like a fun <laughs> Um, so I did that. It's so it's stuff like that. I've done you know random like random road trips uh, where I've done that. I, I um, I'll say so on road trip. There's a road trip I took. I was just coming back to LA from I visited my my parents up in the Bay Area. And I was like driving back and decided to sort of take the long way back to LA. Uh, and on my way, stopped for gas and food. 
And instead of getting back on the freeway, I was in, where was I in? Like Salinas, maybe? I was somewhere in the Central Coast. And instead of, instead of getting back on the freeway, I decided, let me just drive down this random road and see what happens. Um, and I randomly ended up at this old hacienda, like this old Spanish hacienda. Uh, I don't even know what this was. So it was randomly, it was like partially a Spanish hacienda uh, that had been once upon a time a working ranch. And then right next to it was a <laughs> giant like World War II style military tank. And I'm like, these two things don't match at all. Right. Um, so I stopped and I took pictures of the little hacienda and the little schoolhouse they had. And it turns out the tank uh, commemorated um, like a really major World War II battle because there had been a lot of, of soldiers from the area that had fought and a lot of them had died sort of in that battle. And so they had this, this tank to sort of you know commemorate that. But it was like, it was literally the most random thing ever. Uh, it was on a random Sunday afternoon. I was truly the only person out there. Uh, and it was all just kind of like a random, like, I'm not ready to go back home and let me just drive around this town and see what I could find and just sort of ran into it. <laughs> nice. How about photography of the kid? Have you figured out how to get him to sit still and get some nice pictures? No. <laughs> no. So fast. <laughs> no. Um, we, we, it's we, not we so he, he can kind of sit still. I mean, look, his, his mother is very much about like trying to dress him nicely and stuff. Um, and so like when she, you know, she'll buy him an outfit that she really loves. And so we'll kind of sit him in like a rocking chair and he'll kind of sit there. Um, the best way we've learned to get him to sit still is we like take one of our phones and we'll play some cartoons for him. Uh, and so he'll sort of pay attention to that, but then he's also not looking at the camera we want him to. So we have to like, you know, whatever phone we're using to take the pictures, we have to take the cartoon phone and like put it right next to there. So it looks sort of like he's looking at the camera. Um, you know, the other thing we've done is, so, <laughs> so when he was born and, and you know, putting pictures out on the interwebs and stuff. And people are like, he's really cute. You should see if he could get like a modeling gig. Like, you know, they have like these agencies for kids to do modeling. So we like signed him up for one, um, which the, we haven't gotten anything out of it, uh, except for, <laughs> except for, you know, like he's got to take headshots, right? And so like, we've gotten some nice, I'll say this, we've gotten some very nice professional pictures of him, which is great for the grandparents. Um, but until you haven't lived, uh, until you have tried to do a photo shoot with uh, an 18 month old kid. Um, <laughs> it is like, no, okay, wait, stop, no, stop, no, sit, no, wait, no, 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 take your hands out of your mouth. No, stop. Uh, hey, can you wipe his face? He's drooling again. I, it's just a whole ordeal. Like it was a two hour photo shoot. I was spent after the end of it. Um, so if anybody out there has any tips on how to get a two year old to just sit still and smile at a camera for pictures, I'm all ears. I am all ears. No yeah. one knows. You just hope. Yeah, you get, I have you not. Take a, a thousand <laughs> photos and you hope one works. Right. You know, it's funny, too, because like now nowadays, like, you know, all these kids out there, like you just have a ton of photos. Right. Because everybody has their camera phone. You just take pictures on your, your camera or on your phone, rather. Um, and it's like I started to realize that, you know, when I was a kid growing up, like in the 80s and stuff, you didn't have that many pictures because the whole to get pictures was a process, right? That like you had to take out the camera and get everybody together and take the picture. Then you had to like use up the whole roll of film and then take it to a photo processing place. Like there were so many steps involved in getting photos. And then you have to somehow save all of these somewhere in a box and not lose them over the years. <laughs> right. So it's like, 
I'm sure that I'm sure when my kid gets older, he'll be like, how come there aren't that many photos of you as a kid? And I'm like, bro, you aren't going to understand the process it took <laughs> to get photos. Like it wasn't just like you pull out your phone and you just snap away. Like nowadays, these kids have literally every moment of their lives documented. Like for right. us, it was like birthdays and vacations. Like that was it. Like I was like, yeah, the only time you really have pictures. <laughs> you had birthdays? all right so uh, let's talk a little fantasy so tell us about you know some of your favorite leagues and um you know what what are the biggest leagues that you're in and what are those hometown leagues that you really into um, so I was in a league for a while. Uh, I guess my, my uh, to use an Adam Rank phrase, my league of record for a long time. I lived in Fresno for about five and a half years and um, kind of got connected with some guys there and was in a league there for a while. Um, weirdly enough, never won that league in all those years. And I got sort of uh, excommunicated from it. Um, I didn't even get a choice. Uh, so... <laughs> See what what had happened was, I um, I was in this league. And we we would always do a live draft, like that was part of the thing. We'd all get together at a pizza place. We'd order pictures of beer and have pizza. And we would do a live draft, and usually the commissioner would get his like his little kid, his his like seven year old son, seven eight year old son, to be the sticker kid. Um, you know, and like he, the kid was eight. You basically just promised him a piece of pizza, and he would do kind of whatever you wanted. Um. Eventually, what sort of happened is guys in the league started to move away. Like I moved to Los Angeles. Somebody else moved to Atlanta. I think somebody else moved uh, somewhere else in, in Florida or something like that. And so I think what happened is for the commissioner, it just became a lot of work because he's trying to draft his team. But he's also like texting all of us who are out of town to keep us up on like who the picks were. Let us know when it was our turn to pick. And so I think what just happened is it just became too much of a hassle for him to sort of try to manage the draft that way. Um, so one year I just got a text like, Hey, so um, yeah, we're doing the league without you this year. I was like, ah, okay. okay. I would say, I would say, I felt I would feel worse about it if I wasn't in so many other leagues. Um, when I got this job, uh, I immediately got invited to so many more fantasy leagues. I mean, dudes from high school that I hadn't talked to probably since graduation. Like, I think I posted on Facebook that I got the job with the NFL as the fantasy football writer or whatever. And, like, people from high school I hadn't talked to in, like, 20 years were like, hey, you want to be in my fantasy league? Like, it just it just so happened like that. Um, so, yeah, I will say, though, I still think that my first league will always sort of be the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart. Um because I was a freshman in college and I, I had made just a couple guys I had made friends with uh, in my dorm. Uh, we were all working at the student radio station together. Uh, and one of the seniors was like, Hey, I have a fantasy league. You guys want to play um, at this time? I mean, this was the mid nineties. I, I didn't know much about fantasy, just the kind of the basics, but we were all like, we know football. Like, Hey, that's, that should be good enough. So the three of us went together on a team and, um, so like we're all gonna you know kind of co-manage a team together. Uh, we got our little you know fantasy magazine that we bought from the student bookstore. Uh, went to the draft, and I remember our first ever pick was Dan Marino, um, oh. which. Back then, I mean, like nowadays, if you draft a quarterback in the first round, people are like, what the hell is wrong with you? But like back then, I, you know, fantasy drafting theory hadn't really evolved that far. So like it wasn't it wasn't weird. Like a lot of people drafted quarterbacks in the first round. Um, 
So we drafted, we drafted Dan Marino. I don't remember who else we had on that team. I just remember it being an okay team. Like, I don't even think we made the playoffs. I will, but there are two things I'll remember. One, um, the commissioner's girlfriend uh, was in the league and she was from Boston and she only knew Patriots. And this was at a time when the Patriots were just a mediocre team. They weren't great, but she got Drew Bledsoe, Ben Coates, and like, I think it was Curtis Martin, maybe. I don't think it was Curtis Martin, but I can't remember who their running back was at the time. Um, but she got all three of those guys, and she steamrolled us. She made the playoffs. Um, to this day, she still reminds me of that, like all these years later that she <laughs> beat me in a fantasy league. The other part of it, though, is that the internet was not a big thing then, and we certainly weren't playing fantasy on the internet. So every week to get our lineups in, we would have to get on the phone and physically call the commissioner and leave a message on his answering machine. I'm using a lot of, I'm using a lot of old timey words for the kids here, like telephone and answering machine. And we'd have to like call and leave a message on the answering machine to say what our lineup was, which was fine until like you wake up Sunday morning and you find out that somebody's a scratch. Then all of a sudden you got to scramble and call him back before kickoff and be like, Hey, we need you to take so-and-so out of our lineup and put so-and-so in instead can you do that? Like, we don't, we don't know if he got the message in time. We don't know if he made the changes. Then on top of it, because he lived off campus, uh, he lived a ways off campus too. Like we might get, we might get the updated standings on Wednesday, maybe. (laughs) Uh, So usually what happens is we would take our lineup and we would check the newspaper on Monday morning or Tuesday morning. uh, And we would like look at the box scores and we would try to like hand tabulate uh, you know, what our scores was. I mean, like to play fantasy in the mid nineties, like you had to want it. Like it really was, it was dungeons and dragons for sports nerds. Right. And so like, I will always sort of kind of, I've always sort of cherished that. Like nowadays it's great. Obviously the internet has made it a lot more accessible. It's the reason it's so much bigger now and that anybody can play. Um, but you really, really had to want it. There was something kind of special about that. Like us, you know, I mean, like, it was like a drug deal sometimes. The commissioner would call our dorm room on, like, Thursday night, and he's like, hey, I'm downstairs. Come meet me if you want the stats. I'm like, we'd, like, run outside, and, like, we'd run outside, and he'd be in the car, and he would, like, just hand us a sheet of paper through the window and stuff, and, like, we'd go back about our lives. Um, it was it was a different time then, no doubt. Wow. It's so different now, and, like, even, like, there are times when I get notifications that my guy scored a touchdown before I even see it on the TV. Right? Right. Right. Like it's it's funny because like people like now people do want that instant gratification, right? We're like sometimes if the if like the app is slow at at, at mm-hmm. updating the points, like I'll get people in my mentions like on a Sunday, like give me my Chinny Dollar touchdown. I'm like, bro, it happened three minutes ago. Like, chill out, you're gonna be okay. It's going to happen. Um yeah, people want that instant gratification. So I can't I can't imagine how some of those folks would would do having to wait like four days to find out what their score right. was. So despite that you're telling the story about uh, drafting Dan Marino first and not making the playoffs, despite that, at some point you realized you weren't going to just be a consumer of fantasy football. You were going to be a contributor and you were going to have something that you were going to be able to give to the fantasy <clears throat> community. So take us through that journey of what it, what it was like going from that first league to where you are now. It's funny. I didn't. I didn't find this job as much as it found me. Um, I I worked in radio for a long time, and uh, so back in 2010, uh, my radio job uh, sort of evaporated. Kind of end of 2010, my radio job sort of fell apart, and I was unemployed, freelancing, um, 
by freelancing, I mean like I was sort of writing some terrible articles and like writing, I was writing like product placement, product descriptions for like some shopping website. Uh, and most of the time just like smoking weed, sitting on my couch watching Law & Order SVU. Um, nice. <laughs> and after a while, one of my former coworkers was like, was telling me, hey, you should apply to the NFL. They're always looking for people seasonally. He's like, I've done some seasonal work for them the last couple of years. You should, uh, you should apply. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, mind you, this was 2011 when the lockout was happening and we weren't sure if there was actually going to be a season, but, uh, I went on the website and I applied for like five or six jobs, some of which I was not, a, was not qualified for, but you know, I was just like, whatever, I'll, I'll give it a shot. A couple months passed and nothing happened. And I kind of forgot about it. It sort of went on with my life and got a call from Michael Fabiano, uh, who was the lead fantasy analyst there at the time, asking me if I wanted to uh, apply or, or interview for uh, a job about fantasy football. And I was like, does it pay? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, sure. So um, I, I got ready for the interview. Uh, kids, let this be a lesson in preparation. The night before the interview, I read like a week or two worth of his columns uh, and I regurgitated his information back to him. And uh, a couple weeks later, I remember waking up in the morning, turning on ESPN and seeing the reports that the lockout was over. The union and the league and the owners had uh, come to an agreement. The lockout was over. There was going to be a season. Uh, a couple hours after seeing that report, I get a call offering me the job. And so here I am. I just I just finished season number 10, which I never in, in a, a lifetime would have imagined. Um, I have never been at one job this long ever. Um, and like I said, I, I never, I didn't, I didn't plan on this career. Like, in fact, when I started, I mean, you know, being a fantasy analyst was kind of a nice thing. It was a fun thing. It was not nearly as big as it is now. Um, but, uh, I am, I'm, I'm, it's been a great ride. It has been a whole lot of fun, but I never would have anticipated this. Wow. Um, so what are some of your more memorable, uh, podcasts or interviews you can give us a good story on? Wow. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't I don't know if I have a lot of great podcast stories necessarily. I, I will say or, that or I interviews. Yeah. Well, so this wasn't my, my interview directly, but I remember we had James Jones on um, when he was still playing before he started working at the network. And I had I had like you know, sometime before that, uh, I remember he had that season where he scored 14 touchdowns. And I remember saying on air that, uh, you know, don't overdraft James Jones. He's not going to score 14 touchdowns again. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I remember he came on the show and, you know, before the interview, the host is kind of just getting him warmed up chatting. And James says, hey, who's that guy that said I wasn't going to be very good this year? Oh, <laughs> so, like, I was just kind of standing off in the corner just trying to, like, mind my own business and kind of keep quiet and not say anything um, <laughs> for the record. James Jones did not score 14 touchdowns that year. So ha, <laughs> I was right. Um, I have since met James. He works at the network. He really is one of the nicest dudes out there. I have not told him this story. I don't know if he remembers that it was me. Uh, I'm also not going to point out that it was me, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was fun. That was, that was probably one of the more memorable. Oh, you know, the other one I should say, <laughs> I should remember this one. When um, we'd had, we had Justin Turner, the, the Dodger third baseman on the show. Um, and this was a few years ago. This was in the run when, you know, the Dodgers would get to the playoffs and they'd have always some heartbreaking loss and uh, which kind of would, would pay me doubly as a fan, right. To kind of watch them. And I remember there was a game uh, against the Mets. They lost in the playoffs um, and they ended up losing. There was a, 
somebody made a mistake, forgot to cover third base. I think Daniel Murphy ended up just kind of stealing third because nobody was paying attention. Uh, ends up scoring the, the winning run. The Dodgers not you know get bounced from the playoffs or whatever. So not long thereafter, Justin Turner was on the show, and he was talking about uh, how you know they all love fantasy football uh, in the in the locker room in the clubhouse, uh, and that sometimes you know when they're just kind of standing around with nothing to do between innings, they are talking about fantasy football a lot of times. And I said, totally not thinking. I just kind of blurted out. I was like, oh, so that means instead of talking about like who should be covering third base, you're talking about fantasy. And I said this like on air and I felt like, and he was like, he was totally good natured about it. Like he was like, ah, oh. he's like good natured. I like, after the show, I super apologized. And I was like, I feel so <laughs> bad. I feel so bad. Right. And like my dad watched it and he was like, he said, you're not wrong though. <laughs> I was like, thanks dad. <laughs> That's funny. No, that's amazing. And, you know, so you told that story about the phone call from Babiano there. What if you never got that phone call? Like, what do you think you'd be doing today if you weren't in the fantasy football industry? I really don't know. I honestly don't know. That is, that is a really good question. I think I, I do think I might have, might have tried to go back to radio, stay in radio for a little while. Um, but I honestly have no idea what I would be doing. Um, you know, I, I once upon a time. I uh, had a job working a seafood counter at a supermarket and, uh, you know, once upon a time I could fillet a whole salmon. So I don't know, maybe if, maybe if that all falls apart, maybe I go back to cutting fish again, who knows? But um, <laughs> I, I, I really honestly, cause people have asked me that and I truly don't know. Um, because at that time I just was really like, I was sort of applying to a lot of different things. And, and um, you know, I, I, I did, I did baseball play by play for a couple of years. I, I probably wouldn't have minded going back to that. Um, like I said, radio was a good thing. I could have tried to maybe find a job as a freelance writer, but I honestly, uh, at the point that I got that call, I was sort of out adrift in the ocean of joblessness with no real path or idea of, of where I was going to go. So this, this sort of came along at the right time. Baseball play by play, I think would be fun. That would be like a, just a, such a cool <clears throat> job to me. It's fun. It's not lucrative. There's not a lot of stability. Um, you, you do have to sort of love it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it seems great and it's very romantic, but you know, like those days when it's like 112 in Bakersfield and it's August and your team is 10 games out of first place, you're like, what am I doing with my life? You know, so, <laughs> um, so that part of it comes along with the territory, but you know, I mean, there are, there are some fun parts to it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, like, what's your job? Like, well, I get to sit at the ballpark and watch a baseball game and like, you know, they feed me in hot dogs. Like, um, 12 year old me would have been like sign me up like where do, where do i sign up for that so uh that part of it is great the, the part of it just being like it is a grind and like i said it is not it is not lucrative especially at the minor league levels um you're not exactly in the fanciest cities and the nicest hotels um you know for us a fancy hotel in the california league was one that had a coffee maker in the room that was a fancy hotel <laughs> because you know what it meant it meant that instead of just buying like lunch meat and bread with our per diem, we could buy ramen and we could make ramen in the coffee maker. It was great. <laughs> well, my sources have told me that they thought you would have made a very good play-by-play -play guy in baseball. Uh, everything I've heard oh. from my sources, guys said, you know, you got to tell, ask Marcus, like baseball, he, he would be a great play-by-play -play guy. But one of the other things I kind of looked into here, I did my little bit of research. My sources also tell me that if you weren't in the fantasy football, maybe you'd be a professional gamer. You've got the hookup in Maddie franchise. <laughs> and I hear your Atari, <laughs> I hear your Atari 2600 skills are unprecedented. Uh, you know, what? It's, it's in a box somewhere, probably in stories that, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I do have a, some, I see the question. I do still have a working Atari 2600. It is, it is a box somewhere. Um, 
it's the kind of thing where every once in a while I come across, I'll be like, hey, it's fun. Like, let's let's like, hook it up and I'll play. And then like after like an hour, I'm like, all right, I think I'm kind of over this again. <laughs> like I kind of get my, my fix. Um, I used to be a big time gamer, um, but then, you know, being underemployed or unemployed and being broke, uh, one of the first things that gets cut out of the budget is video games. And so you sort of learn to fill that time. I, I hope to kind of get back into it. I think I'm going to use my kid as an excuse. Like I'm going to buy a Nintendo, <laughs> I'll buy like a Nintendo switch and be like, it's for Quentin, but like, it won't be. Um, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, you know, I got, I've got plenty of friends uh, between franchise working at, uh, at, at EA with Madden. I've got friends who are sort of in the esports industry. So if I decide to really kind of jump back into this with both feet, uh, I think I have some people who can sort of help me out. Well, I know I use my kids as an excuse. Like, I have a bunch of kids, like Philip Rivers level kids. But my two, my boys, my boys was my excuse to get back into like cartoons. Oh, see, I never, I never got away from cartoons. I don't even have to use yeah. a kid for excuse. That's just me. <laughs> well, we we went through the whole like Lizzie McGuire, Hannah Montana phase. You can't, you can't really, you know, you know what I'm saying, Major. You know what I'm saying. You went through that too. Absolutely. And then the boys come. It's like, all right, we're putting on Teen Titans. Okay, yeah, we're getting into this. And then Marvel came at the same time my boys came. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> so, so it's funny you talk because, like, Teen Titans Go is such an amazing, underrated show. The best and show. The best. It's funny. So Matt Money Smith, who hosted NFL Fantasy Live for a long time, um, one, Money is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life and just a great person to be around. He and I would sit in the dressing room and watch Teen Titans Go before shows like we would just sit there there were generally when money was in control of the remote control in the dressing room uh there were one of two things that were on cnbc so we could keep track of like all of his investments and teen titans go those were like the two things that he watched and we would just sit there and just laugh at cartoons and then we get dressed and then we go do the show so uh teen titans go is amazing um you know like i i signed up for disney plus under the guise that it was for the kid but like really it was for me um so like yeah all of that like i never i never pretended to stop watching cartoons i have watched them continuously like the, adult swim was the reason i first got a dvr like like way back in the day it's like i would stay up till like, i was staying up like 2 33 o'clock like watching stuff on adult swim and be like just being miserable at work the next day i'm like this can't continue i have to pretend to be a grown-up a little bit so like let me get a tivo so i can like you know record all these adult swim shows so i can just watch them at like a reasonable time the next day yeah, I got to say, Tea Titans Go is like me and my daughter's go-to show. Like after this interview, we're probably going to watch it. And she's like 17 going on 18 now. And, <laughs> and But we've been watching it for years and years. It's like our show together, you know? Yeah, so, it's great. I'm glad you said that. It's great. Well, and the best part is, I don't know if you know Mike Michael Sipes there. He's uh, over uh, Dynasty HQ. His mm -hmm. brother is the voice for Beast Boy. So oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's it's, amazing. It's, it's one of those fun kind of connections there that's in the within the industry that you didn't know about and so i keep busting and i think he also did michelangelo he's he's a voice actor he's done a bunch of them and it's yeah Sipes brother. It's, it's fantastic that's awesome <laughs> i guess tara we might want to move on to the next question here <laughs> all right yeah let's uh let's jump back to fantasy a little um you know obviously you've learned a lot throughout the years with fantasy tell us about um tell us about some what's What's the most important thing to you that fantasy has taught you? Uh, not to take it so seriously. Um, I think in a lot of respects, right? I mean, I think this past year, especially with COVID, um, you know, with us 
with us playing games literally every day of the week, right? With like not knowing, not knowing when games are going to be played at some point, not knowing if games are going to be played. Uh, it sort of just made me appreciate the fact that we have this at all, right? Like we, we, we talk about a game about a game. Um, and so like, you know, at first when, when we were shuffling games around and people didn't know like what week a certain game would count for and people would hit us up on Twitter, like, you know, upset about whether this is going to affect their stats. Like at first I was kind of like, I would have some sympathy for them. And then after a while, and, and we were kind of doing this all year, uh, it just turned into like, hey, you know what? Just let's just be happy they're playing the games, right? Like none of this really matters, right? This is all just a distraction from whatever else is going on in the world right now. The world, the world is literally on fire. Um, you know, whether whether the Ravens play on Tuesday or Wednesday is really generally inconsequential. So that that was sort of I think maybe the biggest thing. But and just I remember when I first started. <clears throat> And I would give advice and I would say, you know, like make a call to start or sit a certain guy. And like part of me wanted, I wanted to get it right because one, human nature is you just want to be right. Um, also, like I would feel bad, like, you know, I'm like people are, are relying on this advice to make their decisions. And so I would feel bad if I potentially steered somebody wrong. And not that I don't now, like if I get something wrong, like, I, you know, it, it, it sucks. Right. Like, I don't I don't want that. Um, but at the same time, I've also realized that, like. Predicting the future is hard, man. So, like, <laughs> so if you get it wrong, like, more often than not, you're probably going to be wrong. Um, and so you just learn to just not take it so hard. You know, you learn just to not take it so seriously. I will say that doing this job has given me a newfound respect for weather people, um, you know, on your local news station. Like, you know, they're they are trying to predict the future too. They at least have more like, they have Doppler radar. They've got like real tools like an almanac to kind of give us a better idea. Like, you know, I can tell you all the things in the world that all the reasons in the world why you shouldn't start, you know, Michael Gallup in any particular week. But then like if Amari Cooper gets hurt and suddenly Gallup gets 15 targets, like I can't see that coming any kind of way, you know? So um, you just sort of learn to just not, just kind of roll with the punches a little bit. You sort of learn to, to uh, ignore the trolls a little bit more. Um, yeah, it just, you just sort of realize that this is all just a game. This is all just kind of fun. And, and so when people start like screaming and shouting and jumping up and down, you just kind of learn to just, you know, look the other way and go do something else for a while. Yeah. You seem to be the kind of guy that kind of, like you said, rolls with the punches a little bit. Do you ever get trolled where you're like, you know what? That was pretty good. Like, is there any, do you ever get that troll? You're like, all right. Okay. I'll give you that one. Uh, yeah. And I, I can't, I mean, I can't remember any of them off the top of my head, but I'm sure there've been a few where it's like, all right, that was actually kind of funny. <laughs> you know? You're like, yeah. you know, I had to give you like, all right, that, that was, that was pretty good. Um, yeah. you, you know, you troll them back. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like I said, I've learned for the most part to kind of ignore them. Um, some of it depends on how I'm feeling on any given day. Like, you know, sometimes somebody might troll me and like, you might just catch me in a mood, right. Where something else particularly has me irritated or annoyed. Um, and that point I might kind of clap back. Um, the one thing I have found is that, you know, when, when people get a little too chirpy, all you gotta do is clap back at like one or two of them and everybody else sort of quiets down a little bit. So, um, you know, but I would say for the most part, what is, what I have done is like the, the mute hand has gotten really strong. I don't really block people. Like if I block you, then you've really done something really egregious. Um, I just like to mute people because then I just imagine them shouting into the void. Like I just imagine them just like angrily, just like banging away on their keyboard for something that I will never, ever, ever, ever see. So that that kind of gives me a little bit of joy. Yeah. Like going back to your career a little bit, um, who are some of the guys that helped you along the way get to where you are today? Um, 
I mean, look, I, I will always, you know, have a little bit of, I always have some respect for Fab because he took a chance on me, right? Like I was, who was I, right? When he hired me back in the day. So I, I will certainly appreciate that. Um, you know, it's funny, the, the, the people that I, I really, I think, have learned the most from are, are people that you will never, ever hear from or know about. Um, you know, I, I lived in Fresno, like I said, for about five and a half years and I did local radio there. And uh, I had a boss, boss who became my mentor, who <clears throat> oddly enough, funny story. I have never met him in person. Uh, I have known him since, uh, when did I meet? When I, meet? I met him in 2003, 2004. Wow. Um, we did radio shows together every single day. We talked on the phone fairly regularly. We still talk pretty regularly on the phone. I have never met him in person. Um, he was a guy who had, he had some kind of health problems. He'd had some surgeries. And so he did everything from his house uh, and really was kind of a recluse. Didn't really invite anybody over. Uh, was always incredibly accessible. Like he was, he was honestly, he's, you can call me any time of day or night and I'll answer the phone. And he was for real true. Like I, there were times I talked to him after midnight, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and he was always accessible. And he really just taught me a lot about, um, one about radio, a lot about play-by-play, -play, a lot about um, how to, how to, you know, how to do shows, how to, how to promote, how to present, how to build and organize a show. And I, that was the thing that I really learned a lot from him. Um, I think beyond that, it's just, one of the things I've learned and one of the things I tell people when they ask for advice on how to get better is um, find the people you think are good at a thing and for lack of a better term, steal from them, borrow from them, right? Take that thing that you think they're good at. If you think somebody is good at podcasting or if you like somebody's writing style, like the way you get better is by watching other people and doing what they do and just sort of like try to try to copy that. Now, you know, don't, don't copy it verbatim, like put your own, put your own little stank on it. Um, right. But, but, you know, it, it, that I think to me has maybe been the biggest thing, but I, I would say that the one guy, I mean, it, it is, it's a guy named Tony Diodato who lives in Fresno, who, um, you know, like I said, like it's, it's, it's been 18 years. I have never, I've never met him face to face. We have talked you all guys the time. Need to, you guys need to meet face to face. You need to meet I mean, we really do. It's funny, but like nobody really sees him outside of like his wife and kid, you know, actually not even his kid. His kid is like, you know, 20 years old and in the Navy now. <laughs> it's like he's moved out of the house. Um, but like, yeah, it, it is. I mean, he even joked. He was like, he's like, you know, he's like, the, the, the day you meet me might be like at my funeral. Uh, I know it's kind of a sick, morbid joke, but that was kind of the joke between us. Um, <laughs> But really, I feel like he has had more of an impact on my career um, and, and how I've learned to prepare and how I have gotten better than, than literally any, I'd say anybody I've ever met, but I guess anybody I've ever not met. So, yeah. And, and when it comes to fantasy sports, um, who, uh, how can I remember? Who was the first like black guy or black person that you've seen in the fantasy world? Or are you that person? Um. I mean, when I started here, yeah, I, I was that person. Um, yeah. When I, I remember, I remember going to a conference in Chicago. This might have been 20, let's see, I started the NFL in 2011. So this might have been 2014, 2015, something like that. Um, and it was at a hotel in Chicago and they rented out a ballroom and there were literally like, you know, several hundred people there. And that blew my mind. I didn't realize fantasy sports was that big. I was kind of living in my own little world there. Uh, and I met Corey Parsons who uh, I think he's the fantasy exec on Twitter. Um, and I met him there. We, we talked briefly at that conference. And he was like maybe the first other one 
um, you know, beyond beyond myself at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and it's been great in the years since, you know, there are more of us, which is super awesome and super cool. Um, so like, you know, when I decide, like, I, I don't think I'm going to do fantasy sports forever. So whenever I decide that I'm, I'm done, want to move on to the next thing, um, you know, there, there won't be just, you know, one person or two people. There'll be a lot more. That's, that's pretty cool to know. Yeah. That's one thing I love about this show is like, it's kind of like a history lesson in, in fantasy sports. Um, we've interviewed people and they talk about how you guys did it on fax machines and what you gave the story about the phone. <laughs> so I love, I, and I, it made me like when you're talking about that, it made me wonder like who was the first like black person in fantasy world? I think it might be you. You might be. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's kind of heavy. Um, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> that's kind of heavy, man. Cause like, like, but you know, I mean, some of it, I think some of it does have to do though with the, the explosion, the, the, the explosion and growth in this industry in literally just 10 years. Like I said, it, it's been, I will, hit, I will hit 10 years. I've been 10 seasons. I'll hit 10 years uh, with NFL media in August. Um, and you know, I was, I was actually thinking about it today. Like when we start, when I started this, generally you had, uh, you know, NFL, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, uh, Roto World, those are kind of your big platforms for stuff. And and there weren't a lot of people kind of doing it on the side. And now, um, you know, there are so many pods and so many websites and, and everybody, you know, now you have people kind of branching out to do their own thing, which is awesome and great to see. Um, so there is so much more room and so much more space. And I'm glad to see that there are so many different people. Um, different types of people doing this. That's pretty cool. But man, I, I, that's 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 pretty heavy. If if I was the first, that um, man, I <laughs> I, I don't know how to process that. I'm gonna have to sit with that tonight. <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, man. Oh man. Wow. So so ten years. You know. Uh, so tell us about the off season. You know, what do you have in store in the off season? What's that look like for you? Uh, it's a lot less intense. That's kind of nice because I'm not doing shows every day. Um, yeah, but we're still still doing a podcast, uh, you know, once a week. I'm still I'm doing like VOD stuff for YouTube. Um, you know, I'm trying to write a column once or so a week. But you know, right now I'm I'm spending time looking at draft prospects and kind of preparing. It just there's a lot more time to kind of dig deeper into stuff and to kind of look at the nuts and bolts. And you know, like what I what I want to do on the podcast this off season is sort of talk more about theory, right? Like you know, in season you're just you're, you're mostly you know doing start sits and who's playing well, who's not, who to who to who to drop, who to add, that sort of thing. Um, I do want to talk more about, uh, you know, kind of more of, of the theory behind things and why you should draft this guy or how you should scout players and that sort of thing. So it, it, there's a little more time, I think, to be a little more in-depth that I don't necessarily get in the season. But I also – it's nice. I can sort of set my own schedule. I don't have to work such long hours. It's, it's kind of good. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. the one thing I've noticed here in this offseason, we use that term very loosely around here, is I've seen you just about everywhere on my Twitter feed doing all these <laughs> other shows. You mentioned all these podcasts popping up. I think I've seen you on a different show like almost every other night of the week. And that kind of shows, you know, you mentioned all all these shows coming up, but you're on them all now. You know, you're, you're <laughs> guesting on them all. You're making appearances. You're using your uh, platform to help out the little guys, so to speak. It, well, it's, it's awesome to see that. I mean, once upon a time, uh, before I, long before I got here, I, I did a podcast with some friends. Uh, and this is before podcasting became a big thing. I mean, we, we were basically recording some shows with the hopes that maybe we could, you know, pitch it to a radio station and get picked up that way. Um, you know, and we would every now and then get guests. Uh, you know, and it was, we were always grateful 
to have people on, uh, especially if people if there were people who had more of a platform that could maybe help us spread the news uh, a little bit more. I also was a radio producer for a while, was always thankful, especially trying to do weekends or overnights. I was always grateful when somebody would like come on my show, uh, the show I was producing at like nine o'clock on a Sunday night, always super grateful. So um, I think I always carry a little bit of that with me. So I always certainly, certainly try to help out uh, where I where I can. So uh, I, I hate to bail on you, but I do kind of have to pull the shoot. I got to do bath time. I have to go do dad duty. It's bath time. Nice. So, nice. <laughs> so, um, so I appreciate the invite. I do have to kind of pull the shoot though on this one. Can I get one mind. quick question? A last sure. question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier, like the job kind of found you, mm -hmm. um, but for those of us trying to make it in this industry, like what, uh, give us some advice. Um, I mean, one, keep kind of doing what you're doing right now. I mean, I think what's different now versus even 10 years ago, and certainly like, you know, back when I was trying to break into media, like coming out of college, there are so many more options, right? Like I didn't, I didn't have YouTube when I was, you know, in my twenties. Um, we didn't have, we didn't have camera phones. We didn't have all these ways to put stuff out there. Podcasts weren't a thing. So there are so many more options to kind of get your message out. But at the same time, these are options to go out and get reps because getting reps is super important, right? Like, Back in the day, you had to get a job somewhere on in radio or on television, and you know you had to kind of be careful. Like you couldn't say something colossally stupid because you might get fired. You have a podcast now. You do something on YouTube and you say something colossally dumb, like you can just delete it, and it kind of goes away <laughs> a little bit. So I mean, take these opportunities to go out and get reps and do stuff. Um, you know, use use social media not only as a way to, to get your work out there, but as a way to make connections because you know, part of this is that the fantasy community has been so big has grown so much. And I think a lot of people are very welcoming and very inviting. Um, uh, so use that to sort of make connections and, and find people. Um, and I, I, I'm encouraged by the way I see people sort of uh, grouping up, right? Like, you know, people will have a podcast here and there and they'll, they'll join together and they'll kind of form their own little podcast networks or their own little, their own little content groups. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I laugh at it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, like gang warfare, maybe the best way in the most in the, <laughs> the fun, competitive way, right? Like everybody's yeah. trying to do their own thing. So just, you know, I, I think you guys are sort of on the path, man. Just kind of keep working at it. Keep getting those reps. Keep making those contacts. Um, and like I said, find people you like, like what they do, and just uh, and just take from them. <laughs> you know? All right. Because you already go. Yeah. All right. Well, Rubber Ducky, you're the one. Marcus Grant, <laughs> you make bath time so much fun. For Marcus, for Major, for Calvin, for Tara, I'm Matt. This is the Viper Cast, and we gone. <laughs>